Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. I'm here with Paul McCrone. He's Professor of Health Economics at the Institute for Life Course Development at the University of Greenwich. And Paul's just given a really interesting talk on health economics in relation to mind-state society. You said in your talk, Paul, that while hospital care is expensive, community mental health services are not necessarily the cheap option. Um, so what were the economic arguments for closing down the old mental health asylums in the first place? Yeah, it's a very good question. I think, I mean, a lot of people would, would take the view that one of the main reasons for closing the hospitals was to save money. And uh, they felt that the hospitals were expensive and community services would be much cheaper. But there was many policy documents around the time of the closure programme and uh, in the subsequent years, which really indicated that uh, good quality care in the community would cost lots of money, would be uh, not this maybe cheaper than hospital-based care, but would require lots of investment and um, high staff to patient ratios, things like that. So it was many were, some were seeing it as a cheap option, and maybe policymakers wanted it to save lots of money. But there were lots of people who realised that that may not be the case. That to get good quality care would still cost money. So is it that simple that we thought we would save money, we wouldn't ever save money, and now we haven't spent enough money, and that's why we're in the state we're in? I think the. Yeah, I think it's, it's gone in phases, really. I think that the, there was investment in community services when the hospitals were being closed. One of the big problems was the, the transfer of funds between agencies probably created lots of confusion and uh, disincentives to develop services. So there's a move away from the, uh, the responsibility being with the health authorities towards local authorities. and But local authorities, certainly in the early 1980s, were under lots of financial pressure. Uh, there was uh, the sort of infamous rate capping uh, that was that was prevalent at the time. So local authorities weren't allowed to uh, increase rates by a substantial amount. Um, there was uh, sanctions against them if they did that. So that that would have acted as a disincentive to develop services. Uh, we also had at the time uh, in the in the 70s certainly joint finance between local authorities and health authorities, but that was a very small amount of money. In, in proportion to the total amount of uh, NHS and care spending. Uh, but it did enable some industries to develop, but also may have acted again as a disincentive for other funds to be transferred from health authorities to local authorities. You've spent many years doing economic evaluations in mental health. What's the rationale behind that work? The main rationale is that, well, the main rationale for me being involved in it is a recognition that in order to generate good quality evidence we need to think about the economic side of things as well which doesn't mean that we need to focus on what's cheaper it means looking at the relationship between how much a service costs and what the outcomes are from it so it could be that we have a service that is actually cost effective even though it costs more money because you get sufficiently improved outcomes uh, the need for doing this the rationale for doing it is is mainly that we, we, we're unfortunately faced with a situation where we have scarce resources and even if we increase health spending substantially we're still going to have a, a finite amount of resources available to us and yet the demand to use those resources is fairly unlimited so we, we always have to make decisions about what is the best way to use our funds do we spend it on mental health or on other areas and so really that's the rationale for conducting economic evaluations and we've heard a lot today about this process of deinstitutionalization that we've had over the last number of decades and, and the impact that that's had on numbers of inpatient beds in mental mm. health. So somebody tweeted earlier that we have as many inpatient beds now as we had in 1865. And I'm not sure of the kind of reliability of those figures, but um, what do we know about the economics of deinstitutionalization? The, the main 
study that in, the biggest study that included an economic component was the TAP study that was led by Julian Leff, and the economic component was led by uh, Martin Knapp and uh, Jenny Beecham from the University of Kent at the time, and they compared hospital-based care in the, the Free and Claybury hospitals in North London with care that was provided in the community for people for cohorts of patients who were discharged over time. And they found that those patients who were discharged early on were not surprisingly the easiest ones to discharge and the costs were relatively modest uh, for those in the community. But as uh, f- further cohorts were discharged, the costs per week increased. And actually, over time, the costs of care in the community were pretty much the same as the costs in, in hospital. There was very little difference. Um, mainly because to, to do a valid comparison, you've got to look at all the, the components of hospital-based care, which would include all the hotel costs, i.e. You know, heating, lighting, food, things like that, uh, which people would have in, in their own homes or in residential care homes as well. So if we, if we take a very comprehensive approach, then we're getting costs that are fairly uh, comparable between community-based services and hospital-based services. So costs weren't really saved, but that doesn't mean... That's not necessarily a bad thing. If costs had gone up, that may have been a very good thing, actually, because it may mean that more care is provided. So, again, we go back to this issue about low cost doesn't mean it's a, 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 that's not necessarily a good outcome. Uh, so it's probably a good thing that the costs were not much lower. When I was tweeting your talk, we had quite a few responses from mental health service users, from OTs, from nurses who were saying, we're measuring the wrong things hmm. here. What's your view about how we measure... Um, for, for example, inpatient bed days versus qualies mm. in this sort of area. How do you think we need to um, organise future research and yeah. we're actually looking at what we need? I think there's issues around both of those outcome measures that you mentioned. M- many evaluations have used uh, admissions or inpatient days as the main outcome measure, which I've always had concerns with because at the end of the day, an inpatient day, if, if, if somebody is admitted to hospital, then it's appropriate that they are in hospital and they receive very good quality care, then the cost per inpatient is just reflecting the care provided. It may be, of course, we, we want to avoid situations where people have to be admitted. It's good that if we can avoid that. Uh, but having that as a as an outcome in itself seems problematic uh, to me because it is a, a proxy measure for care that's provided in one particular setting. Um, with the qualities, I think there's an issue there. I think... That's, in essence, in theory, qualities are very good because they allow us to make comparisons across many different clinical areas and nice favour the use of qualities in, in their um, uh, assessments. But for a measure to be equally relevant in every clinical area, it's going to have to be equally sensitive for every area as well. And the quality measures we have at the moment... We do use them in mental health care research, but there are concerns that they may not be as sensitive as, as they are in other clinical areas. What are you taking away from today as a health economist that's come and listened to psychiatrists and historians and later on this afternoon some service users and care reps? What do you think you're going to be taking back and feeding back into your work? I think it's the, it's, it, the need to step outside the box. I mean, I always feel that as an economist coming to meetings like this, uh, it's to hear historians talk about the deinstitutionalisation process to hear psychiatrists talk about it and you know, later on to hear about those with lived experience talking about it is it's you you're forced to move outside of your discipline which is really good and think about things in a different way and that benefits the way that you then do things within your discipline i find so you know i think my my issues around the use of qualities for example and i do use them so i put my hand up i do use them but, but i do have concerns about them and that's a lot that's largely come from 
the, the close working relationships I've had with people from other disciplines and people who've used services as well. Thanks a lot for talking to me. Thank you very much. Thank you.